If you would turn to Acts 20, please. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto, I'm sorry, called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came unto Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the, Thess- of the Thess- Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Tropimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a, young, a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak of day, I'm sorry, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. And we went before to ship and sailed into Asos, there intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogolium. And the next day we came to Mytilus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted if it were possible for him to be in Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Middleus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you all at, at all seasons. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shewed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds 
and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church which he hath purchased with his own blood. You may be seated. Good morning. It's been a Been a wonderful week studying this passage. Uh, it's been some uh, surprises along the way, and uh, especially last night. I need to just uh, briefly share with you uh, one thing. It it actually ties into some application later in this passage. Uh, for me personally, but uh, last night as I was preparing to uh, proceed what is typically a a, a late night uh, finishing of uh, preparation because uh, of just some other duties during the week, and uh, preparing to do that when uh, my heart was uh, doing funny things that uh, kind of stopped me in my tracks. So, after some brief moments in prayer, I felt pretty strongly that the Lord would have me just uh, stop where I was at. That somehow this was in his plan. So uh, that's what I did. I did go downstairs and and uh, you know start to maybe just try to gather up what I had uh, transferred from some just handwritten notes during the week to. to the computer earlier yesterday. <clears throat> well, it turns out that uh, I have no explanation. I mean, I'm, I work with computers all the time, and I have some pretty uh, repetitive uh, practices in terms of saving my work. You know, uh, I always have a several copy history as I'm moving along. Uh, somehow, something different that I did uh, blew away uh, notes. Uh, I might have uh, 20 or 30 words besides the text, which I have here. So uh, that <laughs> that's the situation. I spent some time uh, talking with my wife and let her know, you know what was going on. And, and uh, 
we talked for a little while, and and uh, determination was made that I should proceed. And uh, let let the text speak for itself, as well as let the Holy Spirit say what He wants to. So, uh, without any further, uh, beyond asking you to join me in prayer, we'll proceed. Father, I thank you for your good word. That is in every word and in all ways profitable to us. We pray that you would make it so today that it would be done uh, made profitable by your spirit that you would have your way. That that though I stand in weakness, yet you are strong. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak and that we would hear. In this passage, Paul is in the midst of the third missionary journey, uh, years later, toward the end of his life, he wrote, thank you, uh, the letter to the Philippians. I'd like to read a few words of that. Not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We see Paul throughout uh, his ministry, especially see this in Acts. He was always pressing for the goal. In Acts 9, though, though with no detail, the Lord makes clear that he has a lot for Paul to do and suffer. Verse 15, the Lord speaking to Ananias, who was uh, quite concerned about the Lord's command to go uh, to Paul, (laughs) given Paul's uh, current state as far as he knows. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Elsewhere, different places in, in his letters, we hear, we see the, 
how Paul is constantly keeping this in mind. That the Lord had a purpose for his life on earth. And he was pressing on toward accomplishing that. We heard just from a little bit of the text today, uh, beyond the passage on which I'm speaking, where he's uh, addressing the vision elders, that he is not shown to declare the whole counsel of God. And that he knows that he is clear, innocent of the blood of all men because he has fully proclaimed the word. The, the thing that God had called him to do, he had responded wholeheartedly and was continuing to press toward the goal. Well, none of us are Paul, right? None of us have that calling. That was a very unique calling. God had a very, very special work for Paul. So, consider though, do we then, do we have no goal? Or, or do, if we have a goal, if we grasp what the Lord has us here on earth for, then are we pressing toward that 100%? You know, with everything. With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's that look like for us? We have here before us, in the Word, in the New Testament, one of the largest footprints is Paul. You have the Gospels, and you have Paul. You have the example of Jesus, and you have the example of Paul. Sometimes we can, we can more easily put off uh, or make excuse for ourselves, because, I mean, after all, Jesus is the Son of God. Nothing he can't do. Well, in some mysterious way, he laid aside for the Lord's purposes, for his Father's will to be done. He laid aside much of that, the execution of that, the, the walking in that, though we see so many examples, power over creation and so forth. Well, we cannot couch that excuse regarding Paul. He's just a human being. We're just human beings. So, throughout this, let's be thinking, what about us? What has God called us to do? How has he called us to live? We can know some of those things generally that apply to all. There's also, though, Specific things, because each one he gifts and each one he has a purpose for. He places us in the body as he sees fit. And in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of the parts of the body and how they are, are all valuable and purposeful. So there's no one in Christ that does not have a calling, if you will. It may not be a, this huge footprint of a calling that we have here at Paul. But in that passage in Philippians, 
I read earlier. Just a few verses after that, he says this. And, and it's in this context where he's talking about pressing on. And he says in verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. In Paul's mind, he's not suggesting that we all have this, the same calling. that he, he, he understands that that's calling that God had for him. But knowing that, nevertheless, he says, join in following my example. And you have us for a pattern. So it does apply to us. So as we look, for, look at this text... Let's look for how it applies to us. Looking at uh, verse 1 in chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased, and this uproar is the, the huge uproar in Ephesus, where they shout for two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You recall some from last week. Uh, Paul is held back. He just wants to rush into the theater and... Uh, Many, many of the disciples and even some higher officials are holding him back, encouraging him, don't go in. We heard how Paul's, his attitude regarding heading to Jerusalem, uh, one of the past that uh, Jacob read, in verse 24 He concludes, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Ought we not consider how that applies to us in terms of our attitude? Is there a way that we can count our life dear to ourselves that is outside the will of God, that is opposed to the way, the way, capital W, that is being pursued to the death right here in Acts? What way is that? How, do, how are we to live? He who would save his life will lose it. He that would lose his life for my sake, Jesus said, will find it. There's application in our lives, surely, more than just uh, in matters of salvation, initial salvation. It's also the way that we live. And Paul is calling us to that. The Holy Spirit through the words of Paul and the life, the example of Paul. So after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. So here's Paul actively pursuing his calling not only planting churches, but going back around and, and encouraging and teaching and establishing them in the faith. So after going over the region of Macedonia, he came to Greece. So he comes to Greece and stays for three months. So just right up to that point, there's a picture of, <laughs> for Paul, normalcy. He's just going along. Doing the work that God has called him to do. And then 
says, and when the Jews plotted against him, and he was about, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. See, right at that point, Paul is ready to head to Jerusalem. We, we, we heard how he, that's really where he was focused. In his plan, he had finished what he had intended and was ready. He was, it was a, not a, as ships go, kind of a beeline. You know, it was pretty much a direct route. He was heading right to Syria, probably maybe a touch base in Antioch, head to Jerusalem. That was his plan. Now he has uh, deadly opposition. He finds out a plot against him. He decides to return through Macedonia. That decision is not flippant. You know, he's, he has sought the Lord's will and this, he's come to this judgment of the situation. You know, another application in his life of man makes his plans, but God directs steps. So now God has directed steps when Paul's desire it's, it's not only a plan, it's an intense desire. We see, the, we see that it continues to get to be seen as more and more intense as we're moving through chapter 20 and we get into 21. His drive to go to Jerusalem, as, as we heard in the text read, every city is being testified what awaits him, chains and tribulation. So prophetic proclamations over him in, in these different cities that he's, that he's going to, right during, as we're reading, it's these cities that he's, as he passes through, this is what he's hearing. Every one of them, it says. So now he has routed, he's, he's changed course, and that's when he starts hearing of this. And, and then this verse, surprise verse in, in, in uh, verse 4, where he lists seven men, Sopater of Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus of Thessalonica, Gaius of Derby, Timothy, you know, of Lystra, where he was stoned, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. We know from uh, later that Trophimus was from Ephesus where he had just left uh, after the uproar. Remember that in 2 Timothy, chapter 2, he's speaking to Timothy about encouraging him to be strong and to endure hardship and be a good soldier. Right in the midst of that, he says, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In the midst of Paul preaching, teaching, laboring, planting churches, strengthening churches, he's also building in the lives of these men. <laughs> Amazing example, and it can, it can so overwhelm us to, to imagine the, the level of responsibility and the hard work and the suffering constantly being hounded. But he's walking out that calling, even with this 
uh, unplanned detour. So he heads back up. If you have uh, maps with you from any of the previous times, either, either the uh, first journey or the second missionary journey, either one would do, just to get a picture in your mind that he was in Greece, uh, no doubt some of that time maybe spent at Corinth, it's the main hub there in Greece for the church there, but he would have liked to have just sailed right to Syria, north of Israel. But now he's going to go back up through Macedonia and come uh, down the coast, along the coast of uh, Asia, Asia Minor. So anyway, these, these seven men are mentioned here that are accompanying him to Asia. And these men are sent ahead. They're going ahead, waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. I, I found this interesting that after this surprise, unplanned detour, time is short, shorter than what he had initially planned. But he's taking time to spend time with the disciples in Philippi and to celebrate this Jewish feast of unleavened bread, which is a week that happens right after Passover. And from Passover, then you have the days of unleavened bread and then six more weeks, and then there's Pentecost. And remember, that's this, he really wants to be in Jerusalem. By Pentecost. But he spends time there in Philippi and then uh, takes five days and then they get to Troas where they stayed seven days. Evidently, they arrived in Troas on the second day of the week. And so he stays seven days in order to be with them when they gather on the first day of the week. It's, it's, it, it appears that way. We don't know for sure. It's not said. But it's Likely. And so we have this example in verses 7 through 12. It's an amazing example of on the way, pressed for time, but Paul obviously walking by the Spirit of God knows that he needs to spend time with these brethren here. And does so in a remarkable way. And in the process, uh, God does some remarkable things. So on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, speaking of celebrating the Lord's Supper together in a meal, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, that's... Unusual, <laughs> but this was an unusual message. This was basically a farewell message from Paul. We see from what he shared with the Ephesian elders after this that this is a, uh, a farewell message. And remember, too, how he says, In every city, the Holy Spirit is testifying what awaits me in Jerusalem. This would include Troas. 
somehow, we're not told, that, is, that comes out during that stay at Troas as well. So, it says there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. A tragedy. If, imagine. Imagine if we're, we're, we're here on the first floor, but just imagine if somebody just dies. What, what happens to the, just the, the goings on, the, the spirit of gathering together? Uh, <laughs> can you think about that for a bit? Would that be a small disruption? I think the Lord has something for us here. This account of what happened. We're told this young man falls asleep, falls out. He's on the ground, dead. Obviously, if he had parents there, they would have been there. Others that know him, uh, there's... There's indication that there's some uh, perhaps wailing going on when they find out this young man is deceased. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. This is incredible. Earlier, in chapter 19, when he was in Ephesus, uh, just a handkerchief or an apron would do. He could have dropped a handkerchief out the window. But no. He went down, spoke words of comfort, raised the young man to life, through the power of the Spirit, spoke both words of comfort and the simplest language possible in doing so. He didn't say, his life is in him again. Further uh, highlighting the fact that he just raised him from the dead. He didn't say, his life is still in him. That wouldn't be true. He was dead. It just says his life is in him. With the simplest of words. Do not trouble yourselves. Do not be troubled in heart and soul. Jesus in John 14 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He would not have us be troubled to to be and to remain in a state 
of troubled soul. So words of comfort, simple words of truth. And then I want you to note, take a look at verse 11 and 12. Look carefully. And think with me for a minute about might there be a significance between why 11 is where it is and and why 12 is where it is. If you were writing, just think for a minute. If you were writing this account and someone was raised from the dead and wailing was turned to joy, would you not put 12 first? They were not just, that's in Luke's language, and not just a little comforted. <laughs> in other words, they were really comforted. They were very happy. But instead, the Holy Spirit, through Luke's words here, look at the order, look at the emphasis, look at the, the, the sense, the tone, the spirit of this. He says, do not, be, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he, Paul, had come up, he came back up to the third story, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. Then, and they brought the young man in alive, and were not a little comforted. Which is the Holy Spirit giving emphasis to? The raising of the dead or the speaking of his word? It was a farewell message. There's a lot to be said. Uh, uh, Few of us could, could take that on a regular basis. However, it's what happened here. And it was for the Lord's purpose. Paul's heart was such that so strong to, to deliver the Lord's word to them, knowing, as he said to the Ephesians elders, knowing that you will not see my face anymore. So Paul put first things first, even in such a critical time as this. Does not the Lord intend for us to take note and be guided by that? This is part of pressing on toward the goal, is having the Lord's purpose for us being here on the earth, always taking precedence. Because what's the alternative? Ourselves. If it's not his purpose, it's what, if it's not what he wants, what gets substituted is what we want. Jesus calls every one of his disciples, not just Paul, to take up the cross and follow him. And to love not our lives unto death. Those are the ones in Revelation we find that are victorious. So after this incident here in in Troas, after the 
Paul has spoken to them all evening and all night. They didn't have sleep. Maybe a few did. Paul didn't. He then departs. And it says, and then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. This is significant as well. You remember when Jesus at one point, after a long (laughs) session of ministry, he sent the disciples across the sea on the boat, while he himself spent all night in the mountains with the Lord, his Father. What was he doing there? Communing, knowing his will, and, and continuing and preparing his heart to, to walk it out every day. Always putting the, the, the Father's purpose first in his life. And we see the evidence here of Paul doing this. And remember Paul's words. Brethren, follow my example. We're not to follow his example in his calling as if the Lord had the same calling for us. So then what are we to follow? It's to follow the heart of the matter, putting the putting the Lord, his purpose, his will first in all things, at all times. And at times, laying aside our own comforts and, and seeking him when the time is needed, when it's called for, if we're listening to the Spirit and he guides us to do this, this is an appropriate thing to do, to seek him in a way that denies the comforts and the needs, temporal needs, short-term, of the flesh. We know that we cannot just continue to do that days on end. Unless the Lord calls us. If he calls us to do something, he will give strength. But we should not uh, determine that we must be babied. You know, we can we can we can end up uh, providing for our own desires and perceived needs first. And this is the lesson: we are not first. That is not the calling of a disciple of Christ. Is to look to 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 uh, take care of ourselves first is to first take care of the Lord's business. To do the work the Father has called us to do, that he has put us here on earth. And this is a way, and we see an example of Paul seeking, not just one time way back then. There was that one time, right? On the road to Damascus, the Lord called him. In the short days afterwards, told him, began to tell him, and probably did ongoing, all the things that he was going to suffer. He, didn't, he wasn't just relying on that. He was communing with the Father now, even at a time when uh, time is short. If he was really concerned about time, he'd have stayed on the boat. 
Seems like they were always having to wait on him. If he's in such a big hurry, why are they always having to wait on him? Because he's putting the Father's work and will first. And he spends time alone to find out what that is right now. Brethren, follow my example, Paul says. Another place he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What was that context? In 1 Corinthians 10, last verse, and in, in, in the first verse of 11. The context there is fulfilling his calling, and it's specifically the way of doing that, of putting others ahead of himself. That's the context of that when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Isn't that what Christ did? He did not come to be served, though he was Lord and Master. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul is doing this on a slow, on a slow mode. He's giving his life, not in the same way that Christ did, obviously, but he is laying down his life for those that he's serving every day for days on end. And remember, the Christian life is based on the new covenant. It's a matter of the heart. Is our heart fully his? He gives us a new heart. We are new creations in him. Old things pass away. All things are new. Our heart needs to be fully his and given to him in whatever calling we have to walk it out. And we have here another man. God, the Holy Spirit, has spoken words through him, calling us, not only giving his example, but calling us from his own words. Brethren, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Brethren, follow my example. Walk this way that you see. What way is that? Laying down his own life that others might live. So, he does meet up with them again. Verse 14. He met us at Asos. We took him on board. Came to Mytilene. We sailed from there. And the next day came opposite Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day we came to Miletus. So rapid succession. As they're heading south down along the coast. Bypassing Ephesus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Again, isn't it amazing that Paul is hurrying to be to Jerusalem, where it's testified by the Holy Spirit in every city that what awaits him is chains and tribulation. But he says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Later in, verse, in, in sorry, chapter 21, it's, it's almost a, a finale, as it were, that 
uh, look at the verse 10. They've, they've uh, arrived on the coast and working their way down, and they're, they're staying with Philip, one of the seven. He says, and we stayed there many days, a certain prophet named Agabus. We've heard of Agabus before, before sorry. <laughs> Pardon me while I wet my lips. Agabus is well known, well respected. He takes Paul's belt, binds his hands, says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. I, don't, I imagine that that's probably not the first time that somebody has maybe suggested to back off. Every city up to this point. Now it's this demonstration by the premier prophet in Judea. And he makes a special trip, it seems, to go there to deliver this. He, le- he, he comes up to Caesarea, or I forget now my geography, maybe it's down. <laughs> <clears throat> So they're pleading with him. And Paul answers, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but to also die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. When it's known that every place you go for miles and miles... You've been hearing this message. Doesn't that tear at you a little bit? And those that are with him? It's at this point that those that are traveling with him, the we, they all, there's only Paul wanting to go to Jerusalem now. Nobody else is wanting to go, wanting to pull back. Agabus has spoken. The Holy Spirit says, Through him. Paul later speaks, or the Lord later speaks to Paul, encouraging him, cheering him. I'm with you. I have more work for you to do. This attitude, this drive, isn't that the part that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, through the word, through the words of Paul, Through the words of Luke, isn't this the picture we get? Isn't this the call? When when Paul says, brethren, follow my example. Philippians 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. In this particular scripture, he says, join in following. He's referring to us. You have us as a pattern. Those that has, is with him, and he has been training 
and living by example. They have taken that on and are walking this way. It is possible. None of those other brothers had the identical calling. They, they had a significant calling, uh, you know, church planning and, and strengthening. But every one of us is called to have a heart after God, loving Christ supremely, laying down our lives for one another in whatever way uh, he gives opportunity and in whatever calling he has for us to put his will first and to put his purposes first and be uh, constantly uh, driving, pressing toward the goal. Remember that it was Christ first is our example. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. This is how Paul lived. We would miss the mark if we would look at Paul and just say, wow, what a dynamo. Yes, he was. (laughs) Incredibly so. But how? How did he get there? One, God chose him. He had a special calling for him. God's grace was sufficient for his calling. He had an extra measure of grace, you might say, because he added extra calling. Does God's grace come short for us in whatever calling he has for us? Oh, no. Absolutely not. We can follow the example as we're called to throughout Scripture, looking into Jesus. That's what Paul was doing. If necessary to get focused, he walked separately. You know, he he got alone, in other words, with the Lord to be strengthened for what was ahead. God's grace is sufficient to continue looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand the throne of God and is interceding for us now that we would walk in the calling that he has called us that we would press toward the goal with everything in us with all the strength that he gives And we have seen the examples of Paul when there was a surprise, an unplanned detour. He looked to continue to walk out his calling. It ended up, he took it and walked it out as an additional opportunity to build up 
nobody was expecting Eutychus to fall out the window, I'm pretty sure. But it becomes an opportunity. An opportunity for, <laughs> you might think of as a, as a pretty, pretty neat farewell gift. He leaves the disciples in, in Troas. And yet, it's also an opportunity for us to see the priority that's underscored by the way that the Holy Spirit has Luke relate the story to us. It, it's, it's even as, think a raising of the dead, what a big, bold splash that is, and yet it is, it is diminished as far as it's possible, it seems, to diminish it without just not mentioning it. Because what was seen then is the whole passage, 1 through 16, is a continual pressing toward chains and tribulation. Tremendous example this is. And again, it's also a call for us to walk by this example. Father, we thank you for your word. We are dependent upon living an active word to, to do your work. That it would be the that sharp sword. A sword that does not is not blunt, but is sharp. It does heart and soul surgery as we are open to your word. I pray that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit says to this church. Amen.